Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. It just boggles my mind that you know some of the people out there that are serious bird hunters don't come east and try to take advantage of some of what we offer even though it's not, it's not world class, uh, but we offer something different. And, you know, you can get a lot of contacts and get, you know extend your season for for you and your dogs. I mean, that off season is that's dragging by when you're six or seven months and you haven't taken your dog out in the field uh, for a bird hunt. You know, I, I would go out and hunt a Tweety bird if the, if I was allowed to. <laughs> Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, "I swear I hit that bird"? Well, good news, maybe. It might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out uplandguncompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. All right, everybody, welcome back to another week of GDIY presented by Standing Stone Supply. This week we are joined with Jim Burris, again, who was just recently on the, uh, the podcast with the Bird Dog Society, but we're also joined by Judson Brock uh, down here in North Carolina. Judson, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody what it is that you do. Oh, my name is Judd Brock, and I don't, it's hard to say what I do. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Little, I, I dabble in a lot of things. My, my main my main job is I'm an I'm a in, inshore fishing guide here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, I guide some duck hunts as well, and then I love upland hunting. Grew up doing it with my dad a good bit, and have recently gotten back into it. And I've had a lot of bird dogs, and I've had some bird dogs that never bird hunted, and I've had some bird dogs that have hunted, so. Yeah. And so we're, we're going to dive a little deeper in on that and kind of set the stage. But uh, first off, you know, what we're talking about this episode is Jim invited me down. Uh, really, when we recorded the Snipe and Rail episode, I, again, if I was a better host, I'd have the episode number and date yeah, when we did that. Yeah, I think that. I was like back in January or something like that. Something. I'll, I'll dig it up and put it, put it in the show notes for sure. But uh, you extended the invitation. I told you don't threaten me with a good time or else I'll show up <laughs> and uh and I came down and I've had a couple nights of sleep on this because my first reaction when we came out of the field the other day uh, after chasing these, these crazy little birds um, was it's probably one of the most overlooked, underappreciated opportunities in Upland or at least how, how we uh, did it. But I didn't want to just start saying that right off the bat. I wanted to sleep on it and think on it some more. A couple of days removed, I still think that they're one of the most overlooked or underappreciated birds out there. Would you guys, Judd, I guess I'm asking you because I know, Jim, you've been hunting them for, for a couple of seasons at least. That's why we talked about it before. Judd, with your first experience really hunting them like we did the other day, would you kind of agree with that? Yeah, definitely so. And for it to be... <laughs> so close to my house and right in my backyard and just a, a lot of opportunity a lot of contacts with those birds it was awesome and good shooting 
Oh, sorry, we weren't shooting very good, but <laughs> you know, lots of shooting opportunity. Uh, it was it was a good time. Yeah, because uh, Jim, what was the final numbers that we were at on on just Saturday's walks? I think it was like five hours, sixty plus flushes or contacts. So we we broke the sixty number, and I we were talking about it. Obviously, you know, we could have done a better job keeping track of it, but I'd say it was around half, if not a little bit more, that they were actual contacts that the bird dogs actually got to work. Yeah, so uh, some of the birds, you know, in the shorter grass would get up a little bit early. Um, usually the dog would catch wind and, you know, they're kind of uh, creeping in and, and, and tracking a little bit, and the birds would get up before they were able to establish point. But in that taller grass, you know, the the dogs were able to stick points pretty pretty easy on those birds Yeah, uh, if they were on the right side of the wind. And, and then the rail were holding super tight, and so I think all the rail got uh, pointed. So. Yeah. So, well, one rail got got uh, snagged by Rachel, <laughs> but it came off of a point, right? So yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that a story here snag. in a little bit. Yeah, point <laughs> snag. There we go. Uh, and, and again, so the episode, Jim just pulled it up and, and showed me. It was episode 120 uh, that, that we did on snipe and rail. And so we're not obvi- we're not going to go back and recap that entire episode, Jim. But, you know, for, for the listeners that may obviously didn't didn't hear that episode when we did that, Maybe they're unfamiliar with snipe and what a rail is. Uh, can you kind of give us a brief overview and of of what these birds are and uh, like the different types of them? Yeah, so they're they're a shorebird, um, so they kind of fit in that gray area between waterfowl and upland. Uh, and they're migratory birds, and they come down here to North Carolina to overwinter. Some of them go further south down into Florida and even down into Central America, uh, but as long as the winters aren't too harsh here in North Carolina, we have the birds all winter long. And if you you know have a uh, a pointing dog, it's one of the first birds that we can hunt with a pointing dog uh, in the season because our quail season and woodcock and and everything hasn't come in. Uh, but they 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 like having wet feet. Uh, they like damp soil. Um, they eat a little, uh, crustaceans and worms and and insect larvae and stuff like that. Uh, and, and they can be here one day and gone the next, depending on weather. Kind of like woodcock and any other migratory bird. Uh, but I mean, with the snipe, you can get them in pretty big numbers. You get a flight good on those. You can have 100, 200 uh, flushes in a day, um, and they could be, you know, uh, singles, or they could be eight or nine or 20 of them in a small confined area uh, when you find them. So sometimes you're literally trying to reload as quick as you're shooting, uh, just because there's so many birds, and especially if you have a steady dog, you know, where you don't have to worry about them running, um, then you can just keep popping away. Uh, you allowed eight birds, but you know you have to be an excellent shot in order to get eight of them in a day. Uh, things kind of have to work out. Um, you do want to kind of pick your days, or at least I do. Whenever you hunt them, um, you know I like a, a stiff wind. You know, ten, fifteen miles an hour. Need to have a little bit of, of cover for them to feel secure, so they'll hold. Uh, a lot of times you'll find them out in like a, a manic, you know, pasture land or something that's flooded. Uh, it's really hard to get close to those birds with a pointing dog. Um, so you kind of want to look for some cover, some grass, and and uh, hunting with pointing dogs a blast. Um, you know, if you got several people in a group, it's good to make sure to wear orange hat or orange shirts because sometimes they come out fast and low. Uh, so you, you, you don't want to take a novice out there maybe uh, unless you know, you're comfortable with their gunning skills. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, as, as far as resources here in North Carolina, snipe and rail hunting is definitely way overlooked, especially if you have a pointing dog. Um, and you know, if you, if you hunt a few weeks out of the season, uh, I mean, you can get 500 to a thousand birds, uh, just 
in like 10 to 15 hunts, I would say. Yeah. And so I want to get into here in a, here in a minute, like why is it that people claim that you can't get quality bird contacts with the dog? But Judd, I'm a little more curious on your end, how familiar you were with snipe hunting prior to going out there and hunting it. Like, did you only hear the tall tales and stuff on the snipe hunting, like grab a pillowcase and a flashlight and go in the woods like we all did? Or, or were you a little bit more familiar with it? I was a little, I mean, I definitely heard the tall tales for sure for since I was a little kid, but um, familiar with, you know, that the fact that you could actually go out there and hunt them with a, with a bird dog and that people did hunt them. And I've seen YouTube videos of guys in Florida, like just kind of walking and, and flushing birds and hunting them that way. Um, and I, I know another guy here in North Carolina that hunts them as well. And it's something that's always intrigued me, but has been a little intimidating as to like, you know, where abouts is a good area to, to target these birds. What am I looking for? Um, and so being able to see that the other day was really cool. And, and then, immediately playing in my head like so many other places like that around here that i'm like oh well i feel like i could go make that happen in those areas as well so that was uh that was cool but yeah i mean it was something that i kind of heard was maybe a pretty good opportunity here but but didn't really know how to make it happen so that was it was really unique and and awesome to check out well, and the comparisons there, I think we all said two or three comparisons to other birds while we're actually hunting these. And, and to me, it was like a wet version of dove hunting, the way they flew, the challenging of shooting, they, they'll humble your, your shot real quick. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. Like you said, they, they flush low, they flush quick and man, they pick up sp- steam and, and they're out of there. Uh, but I, I'm curious on y'all's takes. Why do y'all think that if it's been this ample of an opportunity, you know, we talk about woodcock in the Southeast a lot. You don't hear about snipe hunting from anybody. That's why, you know, Jim, we had you on a a year ago or whatever it was to, to talk about it because it's a completely different opportunity that doesn't ever get spoken about. If anybody's actually trying it, they're at least not talking about it. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can get in really big numbers with these birds. And so, I mean, if you have a dog, uh, particularly in the southeast where it's challenging challenging to find any wild birds uh, it's definitely a, a untapped resource but you know as we were talking about there the other day you know snipe at one point their populations had plummeted from market hunting uh, to the point where a whole generation were, weren't able to hunt snipe because the numbers were so low and and so you know if you think about it you know a father's going to take his kid hunting for the birds that he grew up hunting and so it's almost like a whole generation of people got lost uh, snipe hunting it's a, i mean it's a very popular snipe hunt over in europe um, and, you know, it was popular in the United States there for a while. Uh, but then that, when the population plummeted, it just the, it hasn't picked back up in popularity. Um, but I think that, you know, there's a, um, with these podcasts and a few other, I know the flush just did a episode on, on snipe hunting down in Florida. They didn't use dogs. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's, it's something that people are starting to look at, uh, as an opportunity for their dogs and, and just to expand their season. Cause our season comes in in October and uh, is in until the end of February. And if the weather's good, you know, we'll have birds uh, for that. What? That's a lot of opportunity for, I mean, that's three yeah. and a half, four, four yeah, months yeah, or that's something. Four months. Yeah. Um, so. And, you know, here at Gundog yourself, we're not going to touch on something that we don't do with our dogs. Uh, yeah. And so that's, that's where I'm headed with this is because I think, you know, like what you said, it, it may be way back in the day. It was something that people did. Then for whatever reason, populations dropped off. Maybe they stopped doing it. But but to me, like that still doesn't answer the question of why is it claimed that you can't hunt them 
effectively with a dog because we just did it Saturday. The only, and you guys tell me what you think on this. The only kind of thing that I've been thinking on is the typical upland hunter isn't going to be running around in muck boots or hip, hip waders or anything like that. They, Cause essentially we were in quail habitat that was flooded. I mean, we were working quail cover that was, you know, when we we're getting into the birds, it was about, you know, maybe an ankle deep, usually a little shallower, right on the edges of where it was flooded. I don't think the typical upland hunter is going to work that. And so I think that's why maybe the, the opportunity with dog work kind of was, was stomped down a little bit is just because people just weren't doing it. And then you know how people are instead of saying, well, I just don't try it. It turns into you can't do it. It's not worth trying it. Yeah, most of the people I know that have shot snipe, it's been kind of an opportunistic opportunity. You know, they just run into them while they're out bird hunting, and, you know, it's usually a flooded ag field or flooded pasture field or something, and they find them, and, you know, with that short grass and, you know, a harvested uh, field, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like trying to walk up on a covey of uh, huns or, or sharptails that are out in the stubble. You know, it's a, it's a challenge for any bird that's in short grass uh, to get a dog close to them. Um, and so... If you target snipe, you're looking for different stuff than if you're just out walking and stumbling into them. So I think that if you're specifically looking for them, you kind of evaluate cover a little bit differently. Um, and, you know, I think, I think it's different if you're mentally focused on, hey, I'm going to go snipe hunting today versus, hey, I'm going to go quail hunting and, you know, you stumble into a snipe or two here or there. Yeah, consolation uh, prize yeah. almost. Because that's the only way that I've seen or at least you know taken one was just happenstance just you know jump shooting some ducks oh there's a snipe and you shoot one it was actually lucy's first wild bird retrieve up in north dakota when she was a pup so it's uh it was really interesting going out there once you told me that it can be done and and you know go after it i, I was interested and hooked uh judd what, what were your thoughts going in with your young dog because first off you have a griff one of the better looking griffs that I, I've seen. I've told well, you that you. a few times. Uh, it's what, why a griff, well, like what made you want to go get a griff? And then is it just the contacts and opportunity that made you want to go out there chasing these birds with him? Well, the, the griff, I fell in love with a few griffs when I was living out in Montana. I knew a couple of people that had them and they were just really cool dogs. And I bird hunted with, with them. And, um, I don't know. I just, I like, I liked the way that they looked and, um, the way that they worked and, you know, uh, being not a super avid bird hunter. I mean, I want to be the best bird hunter I can be, but, um, it was just a dog I was drawn to. So that, that's kind of why I went with it. Maybe not uh, as much, you know, studying into picking out my dog as some people might do. But, um, for me, I want to go get anything that, that I'm doing, fishing, hunting, I want to do it as much as I can and, and get better at it. And and especially with the dog, any type of interaction with birds that I can get, I definitely want to. And then l myself learning from other people that are more experienced. I mean, there's, you know, there's so much to learn. And I think that's why I jump around from so many outdoor at pursuits because I just want to learn and get better at all of it together. But, um, yeah, it was, it was cool to see him kind of pick it up. And I, I feel like snipe hunting for him might be like the, the best of both worlds because he gets the water and the birds all in one area and he was definitely enjoying that but i mean i think one of the reasons that people might not do it too is that wasn't super easy i mean it was <laughs> it's it was work i'm sore I, I pulled something in my groin out there and i like even when we were getting out of the boat today i had to like pick my leg up with my arm to get my my leg over that uh back part of my boat but um that could keep some people out of it for sure absolutely i mean it essentially we were hunting flooded quail cover 
but it felt like you were in like some really dense CRP pheasant program somewhere in Iowa or something tramping through there because you, it's flooded. So you're picking up your feet nonstop. And so by the end of your hunt, those hip flexors are on fire, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, well, we were hunting though. This, the ground was pretty solid though. It was so, solid. I mean, I mean I'm if just it a was mud, then that would, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that would be a big part of it. You know, if you, if you, if you're looking for something, try to get something where it's a little yeah. easier and firmer to walk. Well, and, no matter so. how hard you tried to, like, I was trying so hard not to get any water over the top of my boot. Oh, yeah. first, and it, it just happened. I mean, the water got in there, and then you're like, all right, I'm going to live with it. I, w- I was good till about three quarters of the way through. I kept my feet dry, and then it was, it was halfway through the, the second walk that we did to close it out or something. It's like I took one step, and it went right over the lip, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're stepping on bullfrogs the rest right. of the way out. <laughs> Yeah, I got some spots I don't even wear rubber boots because I go over them every single time. Yeah, that's what that, – so Friday we go out for a short walk and I'm putting rubber boots on. And I was like, you're not putting rubber boots on? And you're like, ah, I just wear some old boots. And he just embraces the suck and just yeah. goes in. He's just like, I know it's going to go in over my boots, yeah. so I just kind of start off I'd way. rather have a comfortable pair of wet shoes on yeah. than rubber boots full of water. <laughs> I could see that. Uh-huh. Uh, I was making some noise on that last walk back to the truck. <laughs> we, we were all a little slower getting back to the truck. Less uh, talking. Yeah, a little <laughs> less talking. Uh, but one thing that really stood out to me uh, on the main walk on Saturday with all of us was, you know, back to this point with the dogs. Because I, I think that ultimately this is what keeps a lot of uplanders from attempting it is, you know, you hear and, and you don't ever hear about people hunting it with dogs, but then you hear the exact opposite to where you can't. And not only did we do it, but we did it with four different breeds, all four different development levels and ages. Uh, each one kind of showed up and learn something in their own right to where to, I think you said it on the podcast that we did, Jim, to where you had to find more contacts for, for Manu. You, you were tired of doing pin race birds. You can't only hunt woodcock. You know, if you, you can, and it can be fun, but if you're really trying to develop a dog, you need that variety and you, and you need uh, the dog to get on different types of birds in different types of situations. And, I mean, Saturday just kind of lived up to that bill. I mean, everything you described, I think that we got to watch unfold throughout the day. Yeah, one thing I really like about Snipe, um, I mean, it really kind of gets the dog and the gunner both in condition for the for the season when it comes around. Because, you know, you think of woodcock and them being kind of a gentleman's bird where they hold tight and, you know, you can sit there and read a book and then go up and flush them and shoot them <laughs> if you want. Whereas he Snipe, you know, in good cover they'll hold uh, but they're also not going to let there and set you you know let you uh you know check instagram or, or pull up a camera or something to take a shot always because uh they're a little spookier um and so they and really i think they behave more like what people would think a wild bird would would behave like uh and so especially if you're going out west and, and hunting other birds and, and rough grouse and stuff like that you know it, it kind of builds on a little bit of caution uh with your dog you know so they got to learn all right, I can get this close to that bird before I got to go and point. Otherwise, it's going to flush. And and you kind of see that with some of the dogs yesterday. They would get sent, and then they kind of lower their head and do a little bit of tracking, and then they would just lock up once they were sure, uh, you know, that there was a bird close. And and so it just teaches good bird manners. You know, you, you can't have a good bird dog without birds, but, you know, you can also say you can't have a good wild bird dog without wild birds. And, and so a lot of times I think using too many pin-raised birds and then trying to translate that to wild birds sometimes it's uh, got some growing pains associated with it and so 
being able to get this many contacts on wild birds, uh, if you're a wild bird hunter, I mean, you can't replace that. And we, and we saw a little bit of everything fr- throughout the day. You know, we saw birds that were pointed really far off to where we couldn't really believe that they were getting winded that far. Then we saw birds that got pointed right on top. We saw bump bird. We saw a little bit of everything to where the dogs, again, at each one of their perspective le- levels, got what I felt like they, they really kind of needed to kind of take that next step. You know, I call it the, the light bulb is flickering. It may not be staying on, but it's flickering. And, and we got to witness that throughout the day. Obviously, you know, I would say probably, uh, your, your dog Manu and Rachel will probably is is like right out of the gate. They just kind of knew the game and, uh, Rachel's never been on snipe, but she's just old enough and been, been on enough birds to where it's just like she went out there and it was, we were kind of curious how long is it going to take her to catch on? Not long at all. Yeah, uh, no, she was she was pointing literally every feather that was out there. <laughs> I mean, it's a you know you think of these snipe being small, and a lot of people are like, man, they couldn't put out much scent. But I mean, Manu's pointing them at sixty yards away sometimes, and so it's, when he goes on point, sometimes it could be a challenge because sometimes you give up on the point because you're sitting there trying to flush something twenty yards in front of them and not realizing that you got thirty more yards to go. Uh, so I've given up on a lot of points, but you know, seeing Rachel going out there and there's some Tweety birds out there that were literally half the size of a snipe that she was pointing. Yeah. Um, and, and so that was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I was really interested to see how your dogs were going to pick up on it. And Rachel absolutely right out of the gate, you know, was nailing them. Uh, and then Lucy, you know, just kind of seeing that progression from beginning where she's like, all right, I don't know what we're doing here to there towards the end. She was, you know, starting to hunt, hunt more and, and her search pattern started to open up a little bit and, you know, she's starting to get the game and that was only, that was like a two hour walk, you know, so yeah. within two hours, um, you know, she was picking it up and, you know, I bet if you went out there today with Lucy, I bet she'd be sticking points left and right. So. Yeah. It, it was really interesting watching Lucy because she got out and she was working at like a quail field, even though the, there was water out there, but you could tell like she wasn't really picking up that we weren't looking for quail. Yeah. And then it took that one bird busting up in her face and then you know, getting a couple of the shot birds in, in her mouth and retrieved. And it was just like, okay, you, you could see that light bulb starting to come on. And she started searching. I think she got a got a, a, a few points that I don't think we were able to capitalize o- over her. But Rachel, right out of the gate, she pointed that uh, Virginia rail that she ended up <laughs> snagging for. She saved us a shot for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, that that bird tried to flush over her head, and, and that just did not work just well Just right up it. her nose. <laughs> yeah, just right up. And she just snagged that sucker and said, all right, here. Uh, but Manu, it, it was enjoyable to watch him because you can tell you've you've done this a time or two with him because he was extra cautious and you knew when he when he locked up it was either there is a bird there or there was a bird there very recently. Uh, so it was it was fun getting to watch the poodle pointer that's been doing this for a couple of seasons at it. But uh, Judd, I want you to talk about cowboy and what you saw. From him, because I think one of the most enjoyable things about all this, out everything that we're talking about on the dogs, is this is kind of wide open country, or at least how we worked it. You're able to really learn a lot on dog body language, yeah. what they're telling you. If their head is held high, you know, that the point is far off, if it's close. But watching Cowboy kind of come alive as the hunt. W- unfolded in front of them i i really enjoyed that so i want to hear your perspective on what you saw from cowboy yeah i i liked it a lot last year i was able to carry him out at a young age um to do some woodcock hunting with some other good dogs and he did pretty good on that i mean he he would pick up some birds i killed a couple birds over his points doing that before he was a year old and um 
that was, it, it was cool, but I could never really see the dog much. And so hunting, you know, those, where we were hunting the snipe, I could, I could watch him work and, and see what he was doing a little bit better. And it was really cool to watch him looking at the other dogs, like trying to learn from the other dogs and, you know, backing on his own a little bit and seeing the bird or the dogs locked up and him, him kind of coming in there cautiously and stopping and backing some points, had to help encourage him a few times, but he definitely had some on his own. And, um, th- there was that one point in the day where we were looking for that snipe we had shot and looking and looking and looking, we could not find it and cowboys off in the distance. And I, I look over and he, he gets this kind of different little tail beat when he sees a bird and his tail will curve down a little bit. Like it's like, he's trying to lock it up, but it curves down a little bit when he smells a bird up close and he was doing that. And then next thing we know, he points it and then a rail flushes out and comes across where we were. And so that was for me, the most exciting point of the day, just seeing him like put it all together. And, um, it's fun to watch him, watch him learn and progress a little bit. And I can't wait to get back out there with him again and do it and see. So probably we'll have less bird encounters than we did with y'all's dogs, but. (laughs) But I mean, he acted exactly like you talked about. You're like, he's probably going to mess around with the other dog quite a bit, which Rachel's perfect for that. Cause Rachel's just going to be all business and say, you know, go, go find your own birds. Uh, But watching him connect the dots, like you said, you had to, you had to talk him into a back a couple of times, but then it, it only took a few times. And you could see him, like, I saw it for a split second on one or two to where I thought he was stopping on his own, and then you were woeing him. And then I think it was one time I was like, hold up, don't don't woe yeah. him this time. I think he's going to stop on his own, and he, and he nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that was, again, just a couple-hour walk, and you went from a dog not backing to a dog backing yeah. off of just a few natural you didn't have to use e- e-collar at all right. it was just hey hey dude whoa dog on point bird gets up and the dog's like oh that means a bird yeah and it's just that's jim what you're talking about you want wild bird hunters you have to get them on wild birds yeah yeah well, i mean you think about the reputation you can get out there you know i don't really like to train while i'm hunting but you know just that sheer number of you don't really have to be hard on them or, or put a lot of pressure on them to to get the same results whenever you're getting 60 flushes, you know, you, you imagine go out and buying 60 quail or chucker and, and trying to train backing with those. Um, you know, so we got a lot of contacts and, and yeah, you, I mean, watching cowboy progress in that period, you know, a year and a half old griff that's backing consistently by the end of a, a two hour walk or two and a half hour walk. I mean, you think about how many people, after they pass utility testing and have to <laughs> spend months and months on backing. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it just goes, it goes to show that, you know, almost every state's got some kind of wild bird that, yeah. you know, someone can hunt somewhere and, you know, maybe not be the, the, you know, the prestigious. It's not the traditional know. quail yeah. or rough grouse. Yeah. Or anything. <laughs> but you know, there, there's something out there in just about every state that you can get after with your dog. And, you know, that, that's kind of me. I just, I just want to, you know, get the dog out there and get him some work and, you know, uh, just kind of, the dog doesn't care if it's a wet dove or a dry dove. Exactly, just, he just wants to be out in the field. Yeah, yeah. and you brought up Navda. I want to. I want to stay on that because that was uh, again flooded quail territory. Ultimately, like it, it was duck search habitat in a lot of areas. And you know, you you talk about a lot of people when they're training training or preparing for the utility tests on Navda. Uh, the duck search is the hard part. And it was almost like a lot of these shots 
all turned into duck search opportunities. And you saw me, there was one time to where I knew where the bird was. I marked it, but Lucy wasn't doing the best job of retrieving. And this is the one that just got up in her face. So she's really high on that, co you know, bird cocaine. She's real birdie. And so she's just kind of amped up. And so it took a few times to where I stood where I'm at. I knew I kind of slowed the group down for a minute, but it's just like, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to stop. And like you just said, train. The, in, in a real scenario, it's not a duck, but it was very duck search-esque. And, uh, it, you know, it's an opportunity that I got to work on that stuff without having to set it up in a, in a fake or uh, manicured situation. Yeah, I mean, hunting in, in these wet conditions, I think if you had a dog that was really birdie but kind of timid around water and stuff, I think this could be, you know, kind of... Uh, exposure therapy for them really because uh, you know we had you know where we were hunting out we had those canals going through there and <laughs> and quite a few times the dogs are just like running there hunting along and you know jump into a canal that's over their head um, but you know then they get out and they're just still you know hyper focused on finding another bird and it's like they don't even think about it so a good encouragement to play in the water <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and i mean some of that water i mean you want to talk about how many dogs have you been around that they get amped up over birds flushing, over the search, they, the field work and all that stuff. But maybe they're not big fans of water. I can easily see to where if you can get on these birds really quickly and that dog is getting flush, flush, shots going off, retrieves and everything. There are certain areas where that water got pretty deep. And then that's when you said that, hey, this might be a good place for a rail as opposed to a snipe. But that dog might take that next step to where like, Hey, I really like water. Cause this is a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it's associating, you know, water, especially cold water to a positive experience. And, and, and so getting all that shooting and, and birds and stuff, you know, yeah, you know, I, <clears throat> I would imagine that, you know, people going out there, um, you know, just putting up all those birds and in that deep water and stuff like that, they could, they could come out of it after a kind of couple hunting trips with a dog that has a lot more confidence and, cold water and just you know hunting in it and doing like a search pattern and and water probably you know maybe even extend like a duck search uh longer because you know we were out there for five hours you know hunting hunting snipe in wet conditions and you know you think about the uh, utility tests you know they, they don't have, they've only got to be out there for 10 minutes uh and you know one of the challenges is when your dog comes back at six minutes and they want to they want you to send it back out well if he's out there thinking he's hunting for a bird you know you know he might be out there you know for 20 minutes, you know, oh, I might find a duck or a sniper. Who, who knows what? Right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the bulk of this episode has been, hey, guys, you can go hunt these with, with your dogs, believe it or not, to to not only can you do it, but it's it, it might be prudent for people to go do that is another opportunity, another species, but it translates into what people are doing in the off season, whether it's testing or what have you. But it, it brings in that versatility because we actually jumped some ducks at one point when we first started too, they're a little out of range. We didn't get to take a poke at them, but this, that it's a very realistic opportunity to come across some waterfowl while doing this too. And it, and it kind of goes back to what you described the snipe at the start of all this. It's kind of like a, an overlap between upland and waterfowl. It, it's, it's such a different game almost like, I don't want to call it upland, but it's not waterfowl either. Uh, you know, what what would you advise the person starting out? What do they need to get going? Like to me, it's just whatever you do upland hunting in a pair of rubber boots. Yeah, I mean that's just it. I mean part of it will depend on cover because I'd imagine you know the 
the ground conditions and stuff like that are going to be different here in North Carolina than maybe in Georgia or, you know, some of the coastal flats down in, in Florida where you probably sink into your chest in mud. Um, you know, so I think you do have to know the area a little bit, but yeah, really just anything used for upland and, and a pair of rubber boots or maybe a pair of hip waders and, and you're good to go. Um, cause even, even if there's uh if it's muddy coastal areas, you know, you hunt those fringes and stuff and that's probably where they're going to be anyway. Cause that's where your grass is going to be. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately that's, that's kind of where it was for me is just putting eyes on it. You, you know, you, you can be told what to look for and, and all that stuff, but until you really like you're out there and you actually put your eyes on it. And of course, you know, you saw me doing my typical plant nerd thing. It's like, I want to <laughs> know what this is and what this is. <laughs> and I mean, ultimately we were in a flooded field of blue stem, which everybody talks the clump grass that you want for quail and all that stuff. And there was a lot of ink berry in, in, in all of that. Uh, so it's just like that. It, it really is just a flooded quail field yeah and, and and once you find them uh it's really great to use a tool like on x because you can really kind of start to e-scout and find a lot of areas that would be good for snipe you know some of them are natural occurring and some of them might be seasonal uh for waterfowl but you know you can really pick up on these kind of areas pretty easily on, on a satellite image uh and then you just start putting the pattern together and next thing you know you got a you know short list of places where you can find snipe so talk to me about rail, because we came across a, a couple Virginia rail, and what you described to me and how they flush, it's kind of like they're a plane struggling to get up off the runway almost. It's like those legs are down, yeah. and they just weigh too much for that for those little wings. Uh, but, you know, so we got into Virginia, but there's other, there's Sora, there's Clapper, King, and and I think there was one more in there. Well, there's a, there's a Moorhen. Uh, which is a different kind of bird, but it's still in the rail family. Um, but yeah, there's there's the four birds. The kings and the clappers are the bigger uh, of the two species. Uh, the kings tend to hold closer to the coast. The clappers, we, we can find them inshore, you know, a few hours um, inland. Uh, and then the Virginias and, and the soars are the two smaller of the species. And and for the most part, the Virginias are going to be a little bit closer to the coast. The soars can be kind of spread out. So uh, depending on where you hunt, you might get more of one or the other. Gotcha. Judd, you, you've talked about how you have uh, a way to go target some rail, but it's not in the manner that we hunted them Saturday. What, what's your typical way of, of hunting rail? So we do a lot of rail hunts here in the, on the coast, but we use a boat. We use a polling skiff, like what you'd fly fish for, you know, redfish or tarpon or snook or bonefish out of. And um, we'll target them during flood tides. So we get bigger tides a couple times a month. Uh, where I am, I'm looking for a tide over about five feet and it floods the marsh grass out there, um, and, and along the intercoastal waterway and behind some of the barrier islands and whatnot. And you can get out there and you can, you could definitely go do it with a dog, but not during a flood tide. I feel like you'd have to do it, you know, when the, when the water's lower. And the other thing you got to think about then is oysters and mussels and stuff like that, that could tear up a dog's feet. But, um, I think there are some islands and it's something I want to try is go, go on to some of these islands for the Kings and the clappers. Um, but we push the boat through during a flood tide and you look for thick grass and push the boat through the thickest grass you can find. And there's a lot of rails out there. And so I had never actually killed, because I looked at pictures afterwards, Virginia's. Mm -hmm. I've always killed kings and clappers. I never killed a Virginia rail. And I don't know if I've ever even seen one out there um, in that in that type of grass. Yeah, I wonder if they're up closer to the shoreline in that kind of smaller water. That might be the case. But but yeah, they're a lot of fun. I take clients out to do that as well. And I mean, you get that up on fix. You just don't have the best part of it, which is the dog. 
but it, it does I feel... I was just about to say, I mean, for so if you're doing the push-pull, like you said, you've never done it. I don't think I've heard of anybody else using a dog in that scenario, except for maybe the, like a retrieve. You yeah. know, they might have a dog in the kayak or boat or whatever that they'll shoot and then they'll send them, but the dog's not actually out there searching and right. finding it. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, we get these dogs and we train them to, to do a field search and, and or genetically they, they come stock with it, whatever. Uh, we we want to go put the dogs on the ground. We want right. to drop the tailgates and go. And uh, so I'm curious, like, how how motivated are you to continue doing, like, the push-pull or paddle boat uh, process as opposed to just going to put the dog down and do re- repeat what we tried doing Saturday? Uh, me personally, I would much rather just go do it with a dog. It also sucks to do it with a boat because you're looking for the thickest grass possible and then pushing a boat through it with a pole. <laughs> so it's, it is a lot of work in itself. It's very fun to be the shooter, not very fun to be the, the, the pole man. But I can see that. Um I mean, I could um, not imagine myself going and doing it from the boat my, by myself anymore. I mean, I'd much rather take my dog and go try to do it. And very inspired to go after seeing, you know, those birds hold. Because I've always been like, oh, you can't get on them unless the water's flooded and has them, you know, packed into the grass real tight. But I think, you know, there there's some sections of like some of our rivers and stuff that have them that are, I think, in that right zone where you might be away from the oysters, but you're not maybe too fresh yet. I think there's some good stuff that we could go go do it with a dog and maybe next year we come back down i'll have some spots that we can yeah. go, go find some kings and some clappers like that i mean i know where they are i just got to figure out and, and i've never put boots on on my dog but maybe that could be a way to go do it but i mean there's there's thousands and thousands of kings and clapperels here that that live in that marsh grass so yeah i imagine there's a there's a lot of lakes that i've seen around that i think would be worth exploring for yeah. some rails and, and and snipe and stuff too uh you know particularly in this area we got all this kind of iceberg uh um shallow massive lakes with uh you know very shallow fringes with For a lot sure. of grass and stuff i think you know finding the right areas and on some of those lakes would, Could would be probably be dynamite hunting so yeah it's i i can get so single-minded of thinking like for so long i thought you could only hunt rails from a polling skiff during a flood tide, but that's not the case. You know? Yeah, all the time I, I get people like, "Oh, do you you drive over to the coast to snipe hunt?" And, you know, because I I live like right in the middle of North Carolina around yeah. the Triangle, and I was like, "No, I, there's sniping rail around here. You just gotta you know find the right cover and and and, and go hunt them." Um, well, I got, you know, I have some buddies down in Alabama. They got put on a snipe shoot uh, last season, and they were raving about it, how much fun it was and, and all that. But they didn't try with dogs, and they're like, it would be very tough to do it with dogs and, and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, now I'm curious because they do this annual hunt down there every year. I want to take my dogs down there and be like, no, nah, you, you guys can do this with dogs. Like, yeah. you know, uh, again, if the wind and conditions line up, I can definitely see how if it's dead out there and there's no wind at all, the those birds aren't gonna play ball for you yeah and and if you got birds and and really uh, we've gotten snipe in basically mud flats with no vegetation and and you know with a good wind a dog could still point those like 60 or 70 yards away so you can still go up and have a chance of, of shooting those birds um, but if, if there's not thick enough vegetation, then you really need that wind to kind of help you out. And people might be rolling their eyes at that, like oh, 60, 70 yards. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> but, but no, I mean, it, it happens, you know, these dogs, if you go out there and especially if there's nothing to obstruct the breeze or, or the scent, scent in the wind. I mean, we saw, I think Manu and Rachel both had a couple points that were 40 plus yards away last year. Yeah, yeah. Saturday. What, what was that one bird that we kept? 
that nor- northern bittern that do we were oh, yeah, Rachel's off. pointing that bird from like 60 <laughs> yards away uh, I didn't even know what the heck it was I was just trusting you guys knew what, what it was I'm like I don't I, don't. I just knew it was too big for me to shoot <laughs> they, they get when we're polling the boat too for for rails man those things almost get shot a lot because they will hold and they'll flush and it looks like a massive rail yeah what it looks like the way it gets up and everything yep. but well, I'm not going to lie, you know, me being a, a rookie to this type of thing that got up, I'm looking at you guys like saying, I was waiting on one of y'all to be like, oh, that's a king rail or something. And I'm like, all right, pal. <laughs> yeah. Are well, we doing this? Well, I looked at it pretty close and uh, that would have been a big king rail. <laughs> now, but, it, uh, again, I, w- I, w- I want to go back to the, the rail because I, you, you talked about it. I remember you telling me that you you'll shoot a couple rail a year especially the sore rail but then after that you you don't even waste the shell because they're so small and uh the one that the first one i i got to really look at or the only one that that we bagged was the one that rachel snagged for us i guess she anticipated us us missing that one as well so she just (laughs) took care of the job for us so she goes on point we go up, I think, was it you on her left side and I'm on the right? And and we kept walking past her like you would any other flush. And we looked back and that bird was in between us and her and it decided to go over Rachel's head. And that, that was the wrong decision. Yeah. And she just snagged it and, and gave it to us. But we're holding it and I'm like, there, there's nothing to this bird. Like you want to talk about these little tweety birds that you kick up going through fields and stuff training. Like that is ultimately what this bird was almost. Yeah. Cause I remember you got it and you're like, uh, we, we were telling you it was a Virginia rail and you're like, and, and the sort rails are smaller than this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you know, the, the thing about them and they're being a, uh, being a migratory bird, their, their breast meat is actually pretty decent size for the size of the bird yeah um and and but yeah the sores are kind of small so i mean you'd have to kill a lot of them and probably make some poppers out of them like you would doves uh so i usually get shoot one or two of those a year uh, virginia is a little bit bigger and then the clappers and, and kings are significantly bigger but still it's i mean i wouldn't consider them a big bird yeah well in the snipe man it's like probably the majority of the listeners here are at least somewhat familiar with woodcock snipe are smaller than woodcock and then your the the Virginia rail and obviously sore rail are smaller than those. Would you say that the clapper and king rails are about the same size or a little bigger than snipe? Or would you say no? They're significantly help? bigger than a snipe. The king is okay. very large bird. Yeah. Oh really? Okay. Not very, but it, it's much larger. Yeah, than, much larger than a Virginia rail. Bigger than a woodcock. Um, okay. It, it, yeah, and I would say the Virginia rails are a little bit bigger than the, the snipe for the most part. Yeah. yeah. So eating wise, you know, I went back and, and, and I, I cleaned all these birds, you know, the problem with such small birds is it's hard not to shoot them up to where like, I, I prefer plucking my birds that I'm going to eat, but I'm going through and it's like out of the entire batch that we had, it's just, it's like one was maybe like pluck worthy. And so like, I, I went ahead and breasted them out, but as I'm breasting them out, I'm like, yeah, these are small birds, but you want to talk about, I mean, perfect, like fry them up and like chicken nugget size pieces of meat i mean it's just you you get a lot of people they'll clean birds and then chop them up into the size that you already have on this bird it's right so I, i'm i'm excited to get home and, and you know throw these in the air fryer just to test well, them that's out the way something. i love to eat them just flash fry them on each side and then eat them right out of the skillet when they're yeah. still hot because i've had them in gumbo and, and you know different dishes that you're not really gonna be able to tell it apart from any of the other stuff in it and, but you know and it was it was fine in that but i've all i've always heard that snipe is great snipe tastes great and then uh you know cleaning it the other night i'm like all right i'm, I'm gonna 
I'm looking forward to this one. Even though it's not a whole lot of meat, you know, you do have to kill quite a few of them to, to have a decent meal. But you could probably take a few of them and have an appetizer at least out of them. Definitely. Yeah, and, and the way I do it is, a, I don't know if it's weird or, or novel or, or anything, but, you know, given that they're so small, and a lot of times we do a lot of short snipe hunts where we just go out for an hour or two and, and bag a few of them. As I put them in the freezer whole, I don't even clean them until I'm ready to eat them, and then I'll clean them all at once. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they don't get freezer burn or anything like that. And, you know, you let them thaw out a little bit, and then you can, you know, cut that breast off pretty easy too when it's semi-frozen. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's actually the easiest way to do them. And then you just get a gallon bag full of them and then you know you have a have a bird fry yeah so people will hear 60 plus flushes or contacts in a day uh dogs get some good work on it it's fun shooting it's challenging why even you were talking about the other day it's still not something that you do throughout the entire season like if something else is in season you're going to go chase them we just kind of listed off the, the criteria and all the positives on it. What is it about that that you're still partly like, I want to go back into the woods and chase woodcock? Well, you know, you think about the season. You know, snipe season's in for over four months. You know, woodcock season's only in for 45 days, so that's a month and a half. Um, and it's just a different bird. I, I, I love being in the woods. Um, and I think that hunting these snipe actually – um, makes my, you know, makes Manu a better woodcock hunter because he respects those birds a little bit more too. Cause sometimes, you know, the, the woodcock can get bumped too, especially if they've got some pressure and stuff. So I've noticed that the distance of what he, he points a woodcock has increased, um, after we've been hunting the snipe. And so he just has more respect for the wild birds. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I like a little bit of diversity in my life. I got a versatile dog and I want to be a versatile hunter and, and chase after, you know, everything I can. And so, uh, snipe is the first thing that comes in, so I usually target those first, and then you know it's one of the last things to go out. And so after woodcock's out, then I still have a whole another month that I can chase snipe in February, um, and and so that's kind of it's just more of a a, a timing thing um, to where we'll, we'll hit snipe hard early, and then once uh, quail and, and woodcock comes in, then we'll kind of switch gears and then go back to snipe to finish off the season. So it's kind of like a the beginning and the end of the season for us. Well, it's like Friday evening. I mean, we're hunting snipe. You know, we got, we got it flew a few birds Friday. Wasn't, wasn't the most lucrative uh, walk that we've had, but Lucy also found the woodcock right on the edge of where we we're hunting snipe. So, you know, feasibly you can do both. I mean, you, you realistically, how many ducks did we kick up Friday? even so oh, like yeah. you realistically given the wma regs or wherever you're at you could go shoot snipe you could go shoot rail you could shoot your, you know jump shoot some ducks as well as woodcock you could have a nice little mixed bag in that vest yeah and, I, and i've done that a few times because you know the sniper could be in the fields but then you just have to go in the woods a little ways and then you're in woodcock habitat and, and especially you have all that moist soil around you know uh, the, the edges where these uh waterfowl and palmants and, and marshes and lake edges and stuff where they meet the woods those are also prime places to find woodcock so yeah judd what is this is this changing your uh your thoughts or your plans this season with cowboy and and how to develop him because he's kind of at that perfect age what is he a year right now right at a year isn't he isn't that what yeah. you said yeah he's just a little over a year so like this is your season's about to kick off like right now, I mean, Snipe's open now, but like Jim was saying that everything else is about to come in. Uh, did the walk Saturday kind of change your your idea of what you're wanting to do with Cowboy to develop him in this season? Because th he's at the perfect age to really start kind of taking those steps. For sure. I, I, it excited me just, just to say, I mean, 
some of the pins I have my own X on that same road we were snipe hunting or where I've killed woodcock and hunted woodcock. So just to have that diversity of birds to, to be able to take him that are 20 minutes from my house is pretty awesome. So I'm excited to, to do that and, and definitely excited to, cause I want to travel with him as he gets older and as my kids get older and get another dog, hopefully here soon. Don't tell my wife that yet, but, <laughs> um, I, I I'm excited to, uh, use the snipe as well to you know like you said to to make the make him a little more cautious because the woodcock like you said you, you can get so close on those birds and um I, I think it'll just be a good way to round them out a little bit more be able to to try a few more things and i'm telling you i'm gonna have those rail on the marsh islands figured out with a dog next time i'll come <laughs> back i'm anxious to try it out in the salt marsh yeah so. i think it'd be cool so let me add you just said that you you're wanting to travel with your dog and go do some cool trips uh obviously that's something that i i love to do is travel yeah. and, and you have to when you live down there here in the southeast especially if you're wanting to get on your more traditional game birds uh is this something what we did saturday is that something that you would actually travel a ways to go do or is it just something that is you know something in your backyard that's convenient and and something that you can make happen on the weekends well i i feel like i try to my mindset in this whole upland thing is it's easy to like be be like what was me i don't have you know all this all these different upland birds to target here in north carolina but to look at it as just an opportunity to get the dog out and and you don't have to have you know all these different types of birds in your area there's opportunity for everybody and it was an encouragement for me in that way and i would travel to go snipe hunt and woodcock hunt for sure and and i want to go get on different types of birds as well but but i i mean i think i think an encouragement to anyone whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever you have, like don't don't wish you were somewhere else. Take advantage of what you have right there in your backyard and and, and try to become good and the best you can at that. And so that was that was cool. That, that's kind of my takeaway from that hunt is just you know an encouragement to look. You got all this in your backyard. You don't need to watch all these YouTube videos of Idaho and Kansas and Montana and wish you were there all season. You just just go right go right to your your backyard and go shoot some birds. Yeah, I mean, I think it's people just get out and explore with their dogs some of these game lines and stuff. They're going to find opportunities they didn't know existed, even if it's not sniper rail. You know, they go out there and all of a sudden there's 60 doves getting up out of a cornfield or something like that. You know, if you're sitting at home, you're not going to know about it. And, right. You know, that's giving your dog some work. You know, it might be retrieving, but, you know, I've shot doves just like upland birds too, where they, you know, hold tight in cornfields and, and uh, uh, food plots and stuff like that. And, yeah. That was Lucy's first wild bird point was in oklahoma it was on a dove and uh got it up and shot it so uh full circle here snipe was her first wild bird retrieve and then (laughs) then the dove but dove is another opportunity again friday evening walking around not only all the ducks and and woodcock and everything but a group of dove got up and you and i both gave it some very serious consideration like do we go into that field and, and pop a couple uh but but we kept walking so uh it's obviously you know I just asked, would y'all travel? I mean, I just, I didn't travel very far. It's not like I did one of my 25 hour hikes to, to come hunt snipe, but you know, I just drove, you know, what, what is it? Seven, eight hours or something like this to link up with you guys. And obviously I've worked in some other opportunities over the weekend. Uh, not just this, but it's fun. I mean, it's truly fun. I think I was telling you, Jim, uh, I, I can't say that I would do it day in, day out, but it is definitely something and a, and a type of hunt that I would do a handful of times each year. I'm not I'm not going to give up the rough grouse woods f- for this on a on a daily basis. But if you only have an hour or two and and you need to go get your dog on some birds, 
Man, there I've done a lot worse hunts than this. Oh yeah, we we have a blast doing it, and and like I said, it just it's the only thing we have this time of year, and and it's the last season to go out, and so you know I it, it it's kind of weird because this time of year I'm seeing everyone post from out west and and all the bird hunts and stuff, and we're just sitting here patiently waiting for our bird seasons <laughs> right, to come in. But then at the end of the at the end of the year, it's complete opposite. You know, you got all these people up in Minnesota and Wisconsin, you know, freezing their butts off and reading books and wishing they were out hunting. <laughs> and then we, you know, we we still got we you know, woodcock and quail season and and snipe season and you know, so we're still getting after it in February. And you know, I would say that a serious hunter from the East Coast is one of the most traveled upland hunters. You know, because we always go out west for trips to Arizona, South Dakota, Montana, wherever. Um, and it, it just boggles my mind that, you know, some of the people out there that are serious bird hunters don't come East and try to take advantage of some of what we offer, even though it's not, it's not world-class, uh, but we offer something different and, you know, you can get a lot of contacts and, get, you know, extend your season for, for you and your dogs. I mean, that off season is, that's dragging by when you're six or seven months and you haven't taken your dog out in the field, uh, for a bird hunt, you know, I, I would go out and hunt a Tweety bird if the if I was allowed to. <laughs> yeah. yep. I think one of the other things that, that was a, a really cool inspiration to me was like when I used to live, I used to spend a bit of the year in Montana and the public lands out West are just so awesome and very rich with game. And I always kind of found myself complaining about North Carolina's public lands. Cause for a lot of opportunities like deer and duck, maybe they're not that great, but snipe and woodcock, I mean, they're, our public lands are loaded with them. And so it's a good encouragement if you're in the Southeast to get out and explore your public game lands. Cause there's a lot of, especially here in, you know, Southeastern North Carolina, a ton of big tracks of public land that are great for snipe and woodcock and pretty untraveled other than your, your deer hunters. Yeah. So. And, and kind of what, you know, going back to that mixed bag, you know, woodcock, they could be pretty good, pretty thick around here. So a lot of times you have a limit of woodcock in 45 minutes or an hour. And especially if you take a day off of work or you have a whole day to hunt, yeah. you know, snipes just a way to change, change gears, For know, sure. especially if they're close by. Uh, so you can go, you know, do an early morning woodcock hunt and, and then do an afternoon snipe hunt if you want. And, well, I mean, it, it's just so telling that so many states have snipe and rail listed on the hunting season regs, yet nobody ever looks into it. And when you do look into it, you're just automatically told you can't do that with a dog. So it's like over the years, I've been interested. I've asked a couple guys in Tennessee, some wardens or biologists, I'm like, well, what, what is this about snipe or rail? And they're like, oh, you wouldn't want to do that. You can't get on it with the dogs. And so especially someone being new into into upland hunting in general you're told that by a biologist or a warden you're going to take it at face value and you're not really going to go look into it any further than that and i jim you you mentioned that there was a warden in north carolina same thing didn't know what a snipe was and it's <laughs> just like it got, how do you guys have hunting regulations for species that you don't even know what it is but but the point i'm trying to make is not so much that like wardens need to study their regs but it's you have certain each state has certain opportunities within their area it may not be the typical or normal opportunities that we all kind of associate with upland hunting in general but there's something to go do with your dog and really at the end of the day it's like just go find what you can do because judd to your point home birds or home opportunities home cooking whatever you want to call it just tastes different you know yeah. it's just like i can travel to the Northwoods and go shoot rough grouse all day every day and I can come back down to the southeast, and it takes me all year to maybe get one shot opportunity at a rough grouse. But you know what? That rough grouse I put down 
in my home state means 10 times more than what I get up up, uh, up north. That could be through, you know, opportunity and numbers or just the amount of effort. But it also, I like to think of it as just, it's your home birds, you know, it, as, as strange as that sounds. Like, yeah. And, you know, it's just snipe, you know, that, that may not be the quintessential traditional, you know, home bird that everybody thinks of. But maybe it should be. I mean, 60-plus flushes and contacts and opportunities in one day's work walk, and it was fun. It's not like, you know, we came back like, well, we got opportunities, but we hated doing it. Yeah. it you know, that would be different. But yeah. I, I think it's something that deserves more consideration from, from other people. Yeah, because we've talked about you know, the woodcock numbers are pretty good in the southeast and, and here in North Carolina during the winter. Um, but a lot of people will hunt woodcock. I mean, they don't put up 60 woodcock in a year. Uh, even with good numbers, I mean, you know, it depends on how much you get out there and get after it, but, you know, to put up 60 birds in a day, you know, that's, that's a whole nother ball game. Not even Um, four hours Yeah, (laughs) and not even a full day. And so, I mean, and one thing I want to make sure to, to point out is sniper all across the U S they're not just a coastal bird, you know, they're, they're classified as a shorebird, but I mean. Where I think your Lake first, Shores, yeah, yeah, your first snipe was in the Midwest or something, wasn't North, it? North Dakota, yeah, and can't uh, get any more central than that. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've talked to people in Oregon and Washington who killed snipes, so I mean they're literally you know everywhere if you find the right habitat. Yeah, well, Jim, again, thanks for uh, sending the invite forever ago. I told you not to threaten me with a good time, and and I took you up on it. Well, I'm going to threaten you a few more times, probably. <laughs> well, I I definitely enjoyed it. I, again, you know it's. That this might be something that I need to work in at, at least once or twice every season for the dogs because it was just fun. I mean, it was just pure fun. And, uh, you know, Judd, I appreciate you having us down, kind of entertaining us uh, for sure. the, the last night and everything. And I look forward to these uh, King Rail and Clapper Rail spots that you're going to find I'm for us next year. I'm going to I'm going to be the guy. <laughs> you're going to be the guy. King Rail with birds. Uh, uh, or with t- dogs. <laughs> tell everybody where we can find you, Jim. I know, uh, you know, we just did the Bird Dog Society thing, so uh, kind of give us your uh, your contacts feel for that again. Yeah, so you can find me through a, a couple different places. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Gun Dogs and Fly Rides, uh, or you can uh, reach out through Bird Dog Society. Um, um, so our in, if, if you want info on anything uh, related to Bird Dog Society, that's info dot or info at birddogsociety.org. Uh, and then Instagram is probably the best way to reach me at Gun Dogs and Fly Rods. Gotcha. Judd, how can people find you? Um, Judd Brock Fishing on Instagram. And then for fishing, it's it's uh, easternangling.com and easternwaterfowl.com for my duck hunting. And I got too many names going on here. <laughs> I do have a fishing podcast, and that's Eastern Current. So a lot of, if just type in Eastern. You might find me. Eastern Outdoors. <laughs> uh, Eastern Outdoorsman. There we go. Well, guys, I appreciate it. And uh, listeners, stay tuned for the outro, and uh, we'll check back next week. I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with Jim and Judd talking about snipe and rail. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I've had, it's been a couple weeks since I've gotten back and I've had time to kind of reflect on it. And I know we talked about it briefly on the, on the episode, but I will go ahead and say that I still agree. So far, I've, I've had the privilege of going cross country and hunting a lot of birds and a lot of different species in a lot of areas. Uh, I'm not going to say that snipe hunting is the best upland hunting by any means, but I will say it is for sure, in my head, without a doubt so far, the most underappreciated option for upland hunting out there. I mean, it just, 
it was a freaking blast. I mean, ultimately, it's, you know, for all the reasons that you heard on the episode, we got quality dog work with a ton of contacts and flushes that is not very common or, or readily accessible, especially here in the Southeast. And they're just cool birds. You know, I know Woodcock here in the past couple of years has gotten a lot of love, uh, rightfully so. They're they're fascinating birds in their own right. But snipe, they're not that much different. It's it's just like a, a smaller version of Woodcock. They look uh, complete, completely different than other upland birds other than the Woodcock. Um, so they have kind of my respect in that regards, just just how they look, but how they act. It's just a completely different style hunt. You know, it's it it, it kind of you're, you're kind of melding or combining quail hunting mixed with woodcock hunting, mixed with dove hunting, mixed with a little waterfowl. You know, you're you're working these flooded marshes. It, it's just cool. You know, I, I I don't know if it's something that if I had read you know, readily accessible land to go do it or quality land to go do it. I don't know if I would be doing it on like a weekend, week out basis, but I do know if I find some good spots here in my area, it is something I will be doing at least a few times every season. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I, I want to go snipe hunting over rough grouse hunting or even over woodcock hunting. Uh, I will say that I probably prefer going snipe hunting other than like maybe dove hunting, uh, you know, for whatever the heck that means or, or means to you. But the point that I'm trying to make is it's something that you don't hear a lot about. The few times a year that you do hear it, whether it's on a random podcast episode or some ran- random article somebody wrote on uh, social media, it, it's it all lends itself to everybody saying you have to go try it. And since the episode I got home, I uh, ended up eating the birds that we shot, and they're delicious. I mean, they they really are. They're they're delicious birds. I think I made. Uh, I, I know I'm going to butcher this. I think it, it it was called snipe perlu or porlo, however you pronounce it. It's a Hank Shaw recipe, and it was delicious. I mean, me, my wife, my daughter, uh, my folks even came in town tried it. They loved it. It's uh, very underappreciated in not only how you hunt them, where you hunt them, how you hunt them. But how they taste as well. It is definitely if if it's something if your state and your area has a season, I would highly highly encourage you to give it a chance. Go go try it out again. You know when you're learning something new, the first few outings can be uh, pull your hair out, bang your head against the wall, what have you. Uh, keep going because it was a blast. It was so much fun shooting and 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 I'm just gonna leave it at that. You know I I don't need to expand any more on how much I enjoyed it. The fact is I just enjoyed it and I appreciate Jim, uh, inviting me down. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that he, uh, it wasn't just a false invite. You know, a lot of people do that and say, Oh yeah, come on down. And I, you tell them, don't threaten me with a good time. I'm going to come. Well, I came and, and we went out and we just had a blast. You know, the first day was a little slower. We still flew a few birds. Uh, second day was, was on point me, him and Judd. We all, we all shot plenty of times. I went through an entire box of shells. The dogs did a lot better than what I anticipated. Not, not really knowing that game at all. Uh, I typically don't concern myself too much with my dogs hunting new birds because I have full of faith in my dogs, especially after, you know, if you come across them and and a few reps, they're going to figure it out. I was worried, not worried, but 
curious how they were going to take to running in flooded fields the entire day. You know, that's something to where they're, they're, they obviously do not hesitate going into water or running through flooded marsh or what have you. But when you're doing a quote unquote upland hunt in that conditions, I was kind of curious to see how that was going to play out. And, you know, I think we mentioned again in the episode, uh, Lucy caught on eventually, you know, it, it took her a little while to warm up to it. And Rachel just came out of the box, just like, like she's done it a million times. So it was, it was really fascinating to see that. And then Manu, uh, doing his thing, you can tell that he, he's had a few reps on it. It was really fun watching, uh, the poodle pointer go at it. And then, uh, as well as Judd's Griff, just kind of piecing it together as a young puppy and, uh, some of the qualities and characteristics he was shown by the end of it. It's uh, it's a testament to what we preach on this podcast all the time to where, you can only do so much with planted birds. Planted birds, they have a time, they have a place, they have a purpose. There's nothing wrong with training on planted birds. Uh, but if you really want to develop an actual bird dog, you have to go get your dog on wild birds. And I don't think it's so much a proponent of you have to get on this bird or that bird or that species. You just have to get out there and get hunting experience on your dogs. Get them used to checking objectives, you know, checking off this shrub over there, going to check this patch of, of what have you over there. I, I think you guys get the point. And so I'm going to hop off on my soapbox on that. It's just, it, it was just fun. It, it's, uh, I always love finding good uh, hunting options, especially kind of closer to home and at least in the same region, the Southeast. It's, uh, you know, home birds are, are a little different than traveling as much as, as much fun as that is. There's, you can't really take away hunting birds within your own local region. It's, uh, it's a blast. But with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoy kind of taking a break from the normal pheasants, grouse, you know, whatever content it's, uh, get out there. Don't be afraid to try new things. And, and with that being said, don't be afraid to consider signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gundog it yourself. It really means a lot that you would sh support the show. And uh, we have a lot of good stuff coming out your way. I mean, we're in the middle of working on stuff. I'm trying to, you know, I'm piecing together some video editing. It's a learning curve. So, uh, you know, I appreciate everybody's patience with that. But uh, we look forward to kind of unveiling some new content coming down the road. If there's anything that you would like to see or hear on the podcast, I've had a quite a few people reaching out here lately with a lot of podcast suggestions and episode suggestions. Uh, I really appreciate that. I follow up on the vast majority of them, unless it's something that I just recently touched on uh, or a guest that I just recently had on or, or what have you. We try and space things out. We try to be a little different, keep everybody on their toes, keep it fresh. Uh, but by all means, if you have a suggestion or something jogs memory to where you think a guest would be great for us, shoot it to us at gundogyourself at gmail.com or shoot it to us on our socials on Facebook and Instagram, again, under gundogyourself. And with that all being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. I appreciate, once again, everybody hitting play and downloading. It means the world to us that you would listen uh, week in, week out. And uh, just hit that subscribe button so you don't miss what we have coming next week. And with that being said, we'll check back then. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting.
Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and again year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.